0: is there anything else that you feel like have been common themes outside of like awareness, needs, digestion, some of these asterisks, or have there, has there been like a kind of a client story that you thought was just like really cool to kind of
1: witness and be a part of? I mean, just being able to see these clients listen to the advice that we've kind of gone over, kind of gone through like with all the awareness and eating enough, and then finally start to see changes such as like I don't have these cravings anymore, or I'm
0: All right, welcome back to another exciting episode of the Fitness Lying Down podcast. And it is the one and only Megan The Trainer Registered Dietitian coming at you today for this month's nutrition takeover episode. Get excited. For today's episode, I am joined by my most latest, my current, my most recent nutrition intern from Viterbo University, Christy. Welcome, welcome.
1: Thank you, Megan. Thanks for having me on the show today.
0: Yes, I'm so excited to kind of hash through, hear a little bit about your experience so far and your time with us here at Fitness Lying Down and with nutrition clients in the nutrition realm of things. But the biggest thing that I think we're going to talk a lot about today is kind of some of these basic principles of nutrition so some common themes and things as well and especially because i mean the end of the year is coming up we've got a couple of weeks left in december and then we're starting 2024 and i know those of you who might be listening you might be kind of feeling that itch to change you might be feeling a little motivated we're kind of feeling that new year's resolution vibe coming your way and if you're anything like maybe some of the clients that I have also worked with or um in nutrition setting or in our training setting, sometimes we have all this willpower and this motivation right away at the beginning of the year. And then come February first, it like somehow just like disappears. We're like, what the heck? Where did it go?" Um, But I have a brand spanking new group series starting up in January that's going to be three months long, so that way we can really capitalize on that motivation and we can use it to carry you through to actually keep going past, keep that momentum flowing post-January. So before we kind of get into some of those nitty-gritty details, Christy, tell me a little bit about what your experience has been like so far as a student coming from being in school, having classes to now like no homework. Yeah.
1: So I I mean, I've noticed a lot of, um, I mean, kind of what you're going to be going through with your program here is back to the basics. So I've noticed that Yes, we learn all these complicated things throughout our education and learn how to deal with all these crazy like diseases and all this stuff, but really bringing it back down to what people really need and that's just basic nutrition. And so I think I've learned a lot from um working with clients that not as only is it just everything um going on on social media, going on in the world, but really just they just need help when it comes to what do I eat for the day? How much do I need for the day? So I've learned a lot um, in the course of the eight weeks that I've been here, and I've really been able to see clients kind of flourish, which has been really cool, especially when we're just teaching them um, basics about nutrition. So, yeah, you don't realize how much it can help, but it really does.
0: Yeah, I think it's super content information heavy Mm-hmm. You come from school and like, you know, you've had lectures upon lecture upon lecture and yes. information just cramming into your brain. But that's not what it's like when we see clients. Of course, we as dietitians, we need that in the back of our brain. Yes, to help of us course. That full picture. But how do we make it translate? And of course, it's always like, again, these basic foundational principles. Um, we know the ins and outs of them. We know the biochemistry, we know all of those things. Um, and we need to kind of make sure that we can translate it in a way that the client can understand it. Um, but yeah, it kind of boils down to some, some main things. So that's kind of what Christy and I are going to, we're going to take team back and forth talking about some of the foundational things that, um, that we feel is important for you to know and things that we have a lot of conversations on with clients. And so the first basic principle that I spend a lot of time talking to clients about is awareness. So we're not even talking about nutrition here. We're talking about building awareness around it. Because usually when it comes to any kind of behavior change, the information is only one piece of it. We have to actually apply it. You know, people talk about the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is the information and then wisdom is actually applying that knowledge. And so how can we apply the information that you're learning from a nutrition perspective? Well, we need to be aware of it. We need to be aware of our areas of opportunity. We need to be aware of where we're doing really well and just aware of our choices. So one big tip that I do with clients for building awareness is doing some awareness journaling. It's right there in the name. So it's not like your usual logging and tracking and journaling like in an app and we're keeping track of numbers. The biggest thing that I'm looking for with clients is we are just looking at not only what you're eating, but why. I joke with clients and I say that I care very little about what you eat. I mean, deep down, I do care <laughs> because I'm a dietitian and that's my profession, But at the same time, I want to know why you're making those food choices. And I want to kind of get to that root cause of some of this stuff. And so when we can be aware, like I said, now we can be in charge and we're not just being mindless and letting our appetite or our emotions or um, our hunger kind of take charge. We can be in charge of those choices. This is where we can undo some of those Narratives that we have internally that are just not helpful, and we don't need to um, carry them through, like feeling guilty for eating a certain food um, or that something is bad for us and this thing is better for us. This is toxic. This is, you know, whatever you want to call it, the diet culture is labeling it as. So, one of the biggest things, again, when it comes to the basics of nutrition, is we need to bring awareness to those food choices. So, Chrissy, what would you say would be kind of another thing that pops up? a lot in discussion outside of awareness?
1: Um, I would say a lot of other things that pop up is just, I mean, um, like you said, like everybody always feels like somewhat guilty. And so, I mean, we talk about guilt a lot and being aware of those choices and taking charge of it. So yeah, I can definitely see how that like, oh, I just ate a cookie last night after dinner. Like, oh my gosh, my day is ruined. The whole week is off. Like I'm, I can't do it anymore, you know? So Getting rid of that guilt or just being aware of why you feel guilty is going to be really important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Seeing those big overarching kind of mm-hmm. connections um, involved with things. so absolutely. So yeah, awareness is foundational thing number one. Christy, let's talk about aware for Pete's sake. Christy, let's talk about all right, let's talk about our foundational,
1: oh my goodness.
0: So Christy, what would be a second basic foundational thing that clients should be aware of?
1: Yeah, so the second one I um, that you will be talking about is needs. So kind of what are those nutritional needs and how much kind of do you really need? So let's start, what exactly are nutrients? So we have our macronutrients, which are foods like our proteins, our carbs, our fats, fiber can be considered a macronutrient. And then we have our micronutrients. So we have things like vitamins and minerals that are all essential. Yes, we don't need as much of micronutrients, but also they're going to help us stay healthy, keep ourselves alive, keep us alive. And we need, um, we still need them in our diet every day. So I guess looking at how much do we really need? So typically for carbohydrates, we usually say somewhere between 45 to 65% of your diet co- should come from carbs, obviously Depending on your goals, we can always kind of rearrange that or depending on your athletic ability, how much you're moving per day, that's all going to change. Protein usually want to range somewhere from 10 to 35% of your diet. And then fat, we have 20 to 35% of your diet. So once again, lots of room um, to wiggle it around depending on your goals. So making sure that we're just really meeting our needs nutritionally. And one of another thing that I notice a lot with the clients that we've been working with is that people just aren't eating enough. So, making sure that we are meeting those needs nutritionally is going to be super super important to get you to those goals.
0: Now, Christy, you said clients need to eat enough. What a taboo topic.
1: Yes, I what know. What a
0: taboo topic. So, what kind of things what would be some symptoms, some signs of somebody is not eating enough? Like if you if somebody who's listening is like if I'm eating enough, what are some things that they should be kind of looking for or paying attention to building awareness on in terms of if they're, if they're getting enough coming in?
1: There's multiple things. I mean, it affects everybody kind of differently, but one of the common ones that I've noticed from a lot of clients that I've spoken with is people just having really bad cravings. So whether you're eating your lunch or your dinner, and afterwards, you are just reaching for the cabinet for anything that's like sugary or, um, you know, just want to get a little bit more in. So cravings, I would say is a really big one. Um, Another one that I've noticed is a lot of people, not a lot of people, but some of the clients that we've talked to mentioned waking up really hungry. So that could either mean that you're just not getting enough overall, you didn't get enough for dinner, or obviously, there's other hormonal reasons that maybe we could talk about later or you talk about in your program, but, um, yeah. So I guess just noticing or being aware of how hungry you are. Did you eat your meal and you didn't even feel full afterwards? So then you're reaching for a snack an hour later, you know, so just making sure that you're really getting enough. Cause otherwise you might be having those cravings all day long.
0: Yeah. I think it's super helpful It does. It might not seem like it's helpful, but it is super helpful that our body gives us those cravings in those moments because it's trying to communicate something. It's Mm -hmm. saying, hey, we need more energy. We need more fuel. So we're going to push these buttons to signal that you need more. So, yes, just like Christy said, it can manifest in a whole slew of different ways. And those are really the common ones that I have found. And as soon as we kind of correct that. Most clients are like, my cravings have gone away. I feel like, I feel hungry for breakfast, but I'm not starving. I'm not ravenous. It doesn't feel like my stomach's about to eat itself. Something else, especially since... Um, I work in a fitness, you know, kind of establishment too. I mean, we've got a gym, is that your workouts are kind of starting to suffer or we're not recovering Mm -hmm. quite as quickly. So if you are somebody who's active and enjoys either recreational activity or even a little more like athletic activity, if you will, that is something to kind of keep in the back of your mind too, is if you really want to be performing at your best, then we need to be also fueling at your best. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And I also want to circle back a little bit to about how much of those nutrients that we need. So again, Christy, you shared what's called the acceptable macronutrient distribution range, the AMDR, (laughs) (laughs) which is those percentages. And like Christy said, they're huge. So that's at least where we can use a starting point. And so if you're listening and you're Mm -hmm. like, I have no idea where to start and that range is huge. How do I decide? We can help you do that. That's what dietitians are here for. So something else that we not only now do we talk about, again, I brought up awareness. Christy brought up that we need to eat enough. Now we're kind of getting into like really the nitty gritty nuts and bolts when it comes to nutrition is that not only does our food have nutrients in it, but our bodies actually have to extrapolate and to pull that pull those nutrients out of our food and then integrate it into our body. Because if we can't break it down, if we can't absorb anything, then what good is sending anything down the hatch anyway? So this is where sometimes we'll spend some time talking about digestion. And I feel like over the past couple of um, of weeks since you've been here, we haven't spent quite as much time on digestion with the current clients that I have on my roster. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like things just kind of ebb and flow, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least for our listening audience, and if anybody's interested in that back to basics series, we will be diving into this a little bit. But things um again that are gonna influence our digestion. Again, we are what we eat. We literally are what we eat. That's how we get from being bow size. I mean, bow is not very little, but that's how we get from being a little small child into the adult that we are. The protein that we eat from our food becomes the protein in our muscles. The calcium in our dairy products becomes the bone that we have in our skeletal structure. So we have to be able to integrate what we Are eating. So, the first thing that I usually talk to clients is at the very beginning of digestion, it actually starts before we even eat food. It's when we start to think about food, it starts in our head. So, we need to be able to be in a space, in a mental space, in a physiologic space where we are ready for that. So, we need to make sure that we're managing our stress because if we're in fight or flight, that means we can't be in rest and digest. It's right in the name of that whole parasympathetic nervous system side of things. So before you go to sit down for a meal, take some time to slow down because a lot of times meals are really frantic. We're grabbing and going. We're slamming something into our faces when we're driving our car. We're working through our lunch break. It's all this go, 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 go. And that is not setting up your body in the best place for optimal digestion. So that's usually tip number one is looking at your eating environment. Tip number two, actually chew your food. We have teeth for a reason (laughs) and we need to chew it up because otherwise if we don't chew things up and we send things like pretty much whole all the way down, our body has to work a lot harder to break things down. And so sometimes that can lead into a lot of other GI uncomfortable things um, down the line. So I'm not going to get too detailed into that, but again, we need to make sure that we're chewing our food. And then the other thing as well is that we need to be aware and mindful that if we're eating something and it makes us not feel super great, if we have some, um, like an upset stomach, or if your guts are just kind of churning over, or maybe we've got some constipation or some diarrhea going on, because if we have some of those things going on, again, that's a way that our body's communicating to us. So- <laughs> That is something that is going to hinder digestion is if we're eating things that are an irritant to our digestion tract. Now, for some people, that might be gluten. For some people, that might be dairy. For some people, it might not, nothing might affect them. You know, maybe they could eat anything and everything and that's great. But again, we need to make sure that we're listening and we're being aware and we're tuning into what works for you. Some things that, um, Because again, if we're eating things that are causing inflammation and irritation, now we're kind of causing damage to those absorption sites. So again... And when we think about our entire food tube, again, we talked about chewing in our mouth, our stomach, it has to churn things up. We need stomach acid. We need enzymes. Our intestines are really where a lot more absorbing is going to be taking place. So if we have damage to our intestinal lining, maybe we've got IBS or irritable bowel syndrome or Crohn's disease or ulcer, ulcer- ulcerative-, ulcerative colitis. Oh, my goodness. Tongue tied, ulcerative colitis. You see. <laughs> If you have UC, IBD, (laughs) IBD and UC, um, that can be impacting some of those absorption sites, which is going to be increasing your risk for deficiency. Um, So that's kind of some things to be mindful of is, again, we want to be able to digest it. And then we also want to be able to absorb it. So again, two big takeaways from the physiology of digestion is let your body get into the right state. So we need to make sure that we're trying to be as calm, as centered, as chill as possible. Now, of course, life happens and I get it, but doing our best to control that environment. And then number two, chew your food. Chew, chew, chew your food. (laughs) Christy, what are some things that listeners can do that are going to be helpful for their digestion?
1: Yeah. So as you mentioned, um, our small intestines is where a lot of like the absorption of our nutrients are kind of way that we break things down is going to kind of help, um, with all of our foods and stuff. So what is in our small intestines are what we like to call little bugs. So instead of bacteria, bacteria sounds kind of gross. I like to call them little bugs in your, um, intestines. So what are these little bugs They're a bunch of bacteria that love to just feed on additional bacteria or more little bugs or stomach bugs, if you will. So things that we can give our bugs in our intestines are foods that have prebiotics, because then when we eat foods that have probiotics, we're feeding both of our bugs. So (laughs) foods like uh, fruits and vegetables, those are all going to have those prebiotics that's going to help with our stomach bugs and then feeding them probiotics afterwards, after you eat those. Wait prebiotics, after you eat those those probiotics, (laughs) that's going to be helpful for everything in our small intestine and all of our little bacteria. Another really good thing to do to support your digestion and kind of overall gut health is making sure that you're eating plenty of fiber. Um, Fiber is going to help keep things moving. It's going to help with our little gut bugs as well. So eating foods that, once again, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, foods that are high in fiber is really going to keep everything in our gut really happy and healthy, so.
0: Yeah, so let's circle back for a hot second because I get this question often in client mm-hmm. sessions. What's the difference between prebiotic and probiotics? So we talked about how prebiotic is like foods and things, and then we talked about probiotics and the bugs. So give a little bit more context and a little more information about what is the difference between pre and probiotics?
1: Yeah, so prebiotics... um We kind of use this analogy, or I've heard you use this analogy before. Would you want to move your house into Disneyland? Answer is probably no, absolutely not. I would not want to pick up my house and move it to Disneyland. So when we are introducing those probiotics into our gut lining, um, without anything else, they're not going to stick to our little gut bugs. We don't have anything to take them up. So. What if instead I told you that I would give you all day passes, everybody would be out of the park by 7 p.m., um, you get free transportation, all this stuff. You'd probably say, okay, wait, that sounds oh, kind of cool. yeah. yeah maybe, maybe I'll move my house there. That sounds awesome. So those prebiotics are kind of that shut down the park at 7, keep everybody out, um, kind of just everything that you'd want before those probiotics come in. So you really need those prebiotics for the happy little probiotic bugs to stick. Otherwise they're all just gonna run out the floodgates cause they don't wanna live at Disney anymore, so.
0: Yeah, probiotics are the literal bugs. I always yeah. say pro is O, organism. Pre is what they eat. Pre yes. has E in it, so it's what they're eating. So yeah, so like Christy said, the prebiotics are really what's gonna set up the environment for those probiotics to be the most supportive. So yeah, so sometimes people are like, oh, can I just take a probiotic off the shelf, you know, at the store? And like Christy said, that's kind of like the free pass, like they'll be there, they'll be present, but they're not going to take up residence. So we need to make sure that we're changing the environment as well. So yeah, so digestion is a big, basic, foundational underlying thing. Um, I feel like those are kind of the big three that are relatively broad, but yet Common themes. Um, otherwise, others like common themes that I have seen. These are getting a little more specific in, um, in terms of like nutrition information and just like specificity with nutrient needs. So things like blood sugar regulation, things like hormonal support and supporting activity. Because like I said, I work in a gym, so people are coming in and they want to be active, and maybe they're active outside of the gym as well. So what can they do? You know, from a, a food perspective. So after we've kind of gone. Through Through awareness talked about their nutrient needs made sure that you know digestion is in check and things are going good then we kind of jump down some of these rabbit holes so christy which one of those do you think um plays a big role in terms of like cravings that we've seen kind of a connection to because you mentioned that in terms of people not eating enough that they have these crazy cravings Mm -hmm. is there anything else that might be kind of connected to that that you've seen
1: So when I think about people having a lot of cravings or um, just kind of feeling tired and kind of icky throughout the day, a lot that comes to mind is blood sugar. So what exactly is blood sugar? So it is the amount of glucose that's in your blood. So you don't really want your blood sugar too high because that can cause unwanted effects as well. But you also don't want your blood sugar too low because it can make you feel kind of nauseous, kind of hungry, make you have all those cravings. you kind of want your Blood sugar in the lower end, so to say, but not super low where you're going to be completely crashing all the time. So when it comes to blood sugar, we kind of have um, the other piece of it, which is insulin. So when we eat something that is, let's say I eat a Rice crispy that's full of sugar and marshmallows, yum. Um, so I'm going to eat that Rice crispy, and what's going to happen is my blood sugar is going to completely rise, shoot through the roof. But then I have my insulin that's going to come in and kind of also rise to try and lower my blood sugar down. But sometimes we can get kind of like an overcorrection of our insulin. And so then it can cause our blood sugar to go a little bit too low. So that's kind of when we're feeling like we're having like a crash or feeling tired or maybe even more hungry, not satisfied. So Basically, what our biggest recommendation is, and what we've talked about a lot, a lot, a lot in my time here, is naked carbohydrates. So, when we talk about how we have those blood sugar spikes and our insulin tries to overcorrect it and we get tired, there are ways to prevent that or at least help our body kind of correct that scale. Instead of going up and down, up and down, we can kind of just wave a little bit. So, what do we mean by naked carbohydrates? So, we mean that you are eating carbs alone. So not to be afraid of carbs. Carbs are not scary. We need carbs, our preferred energy source, especially for our brain. But what that means is if we are eating just a carbohydrate alone, that's where we're gonna get those blood sugar spikes. So pairing a carb with either a protein or a fat is gonna really help us to prevent those blood sugar spikes and make us not crash as often. So what I see a lot of the time is with the clients that we've been working with is they say, well, I had a granola bar and I was hungry two minutes later, which want to try and pair that with something to make sure that we're getting the protein or pick a granola bar that has protein in it already instead of just like a plain rice crispy bar, you know? So yeah, don't be afraid of carbs, but it's really important to pair them so that we're not having those crashes all the time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that is like something that is really misunderstood is because everybody jumps to the conclusion Mm -hmm. that carbs are bad and it's always kind of stemming back to this whole blood sugar connection. And I think like you kind of mentioned, like we need, we need our blood sugar to stay in a certain range and our body does a pretty good job at trying to get us into that range. But yeah, if we have a lot of especially simple carbohydrates coming Mm -hmm. down the hatch, Completely, like you said, completely naked, then we're going to get that. It's going to be absorbed really quick. Again, if our digestion is on track, then we are going to absorb it really quick. It's going to be really easily broken down. We get that spike. Insulin comes to the rescue pulls it down but like you said sometimes especially if we have a high spike sometimes we can have a pretty big crash mm-hmm. so like christy said if you've noticed that you eat something that's either like a, more of a sweet treat and then you feel kind of like physically you know afterwards it could be connection connected to um a blood sugar kind of crash so to say So as we're talking about blood sugar, I know this didn't come up quite as much in our nutrition sessions with clients, but just for those in the listening audience, what kind of, what is the difference between like pre-diabetes, type one diabetes, type two diabetes, because those things are kind of synonymous with blood sugar. So how does blood sugar kind of play a role in those different stages?
1: Yeah. So pre-diabetes is usually when your blood sugar levels are higher than normal. So there's kind of a normal range, a baseline range. And so once you kind of go over that normal range, um, whether that's fasting blood glucose, or if it's just a random glucose test as well, um, if it's higher than the normal ranges, you're usually um, diagnosed with pre-diabetes. So pre-diabetes is usually, um, the thing that comes before you're diagnosed with type two diabetes, which is when your body cannot use that insulin properly. So like I said, when your blood sugar spikes, your insulin kind of tries to calm it down, bring it back down. But if you're not having insulin that can be used properly, then that's when we need to start um, either medicating or really trying to find ways to change diets. And that's why you hear a lot of times, if you are diabetic, that you can't eat that many carbs or you have to go on a carb restricted diet. And that's usually because you don't have the insulin to pull that blood sugar back down. And what type one is, is your body cannot produce insulin on its own at all. So that is when type ones have to be really, really specific about their insulin dosing and all that stuff, just to make sure that they are getting the correct Um, dose based off the foods they're eating so they're all kind of a little bit different but pre-diabetes usually kind of leads into that type 2 unless we can get it under control
0: yeah exactly so yes with the the ranges that christy kind of mentioned again like we've got the pre-diabetes range is like kind of in between the normal and like Mm -hmm. high blood sugar levels. So usually at that point, if you've been told that you maybe have prediabetes or are at risk or those kinds of things, this is like the biggest area of opportunity to make some lifestyle changes. So like Christy mentioned, talking about food changes, activity Mm -hmm. can also be helpful with our blood sugar regulation and insulin sensitivity or how well our body responds to it. And so- that if that is a big area where you have the most control and you have the most ability to make a change. Usually, once if blood sugar has been high consistently for a very long time, which is where that type two kind of diagnosis comes into play, usually we do need some lifestyle interventions. But sometimes, some like Christy mentioned, some medications are going to be needed to really help kind of put things back to where where they mm-hmm. should be in those ranges. Um, so yeah, so those are that was an excellent explanation of the different types of diabetes is diabetes yes I don't know what you want to say the plural for that is <laughs> but either way blood sugar regulation is still important whether or not you have a diagnosis of any of those three levels of diabetes um And then especially again, from an activity level, it's important because we can kind of tag team that blood sugar spike. If you're going to have a simple carbohydrate, that's helpful to do before a workout.
1: Yeah. I was going to say there's like a little asterisk when it comes to not always pairing that carbohydrate. Um, But yes, with physical activity, we kind of want that blood sugar spike so that we're ready to go through, get through our workouts and um, not have that crash like during your workout as well. So it's kind of up to the timing on that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like I mentioned uh, before we kind of started some of these seasonal changes, these deep dives is like, that's it. We're getting into like deeper layers when it comes to nutrition. So mm-hmm. while we're kind of on the tangent of activity, we'll let's kind of talk about... Um, Things for activity support. So not only do I have a background in nutrition, but I also have a background in exercise and sports science. And so we'll just kind of do a very crash course (laughs) of exercise physiology. And then um, Christy can kind of take us home with some connections and then therefore to nutrition based on that physiology. Because we need to understand that because that's how we're going to be fueling our bodies, depending on what's happening for our workouts. So we've got kind of two main pathways, so to say, in our body. We've got aerobic and we have anaerobic. So aerobic You know, maybe you've heard of like aerobic classes, step aerobics, Um, you know, thinking like the 80s in the leotards with the poofy hair and the headband and Richard Simmons sweating to the 80s (laughs) or sweating to the oldies. (laughs) But with aerobic, that means that we have oxygen present. With anaerobic, that means that oxygen is not present. And so now why is this a big deal? It's a big deal because this is going to be the determining factor on if your body's going to be using carbohydrates as a main fuel source Mm -hmm. or if it's going to be using fats as a main fuel source. The pathway for fat production or for fat production, for fat utilization is called beta oxidation. So oxygen is right there in the name. We need oxygen for it. And so again, why do I bring this up from a terms of activity standpoint is everybody wants to be in fat burning zone, right? That's the ideal, you know, spot because that's 90% of people's goals is some kind of body composition changes. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, Yes, we want to support that depending on those goals, but if you're going to be doing some activity that is not going to be aerobic, we're not going to be able to, to use oxygen because it's so quick, it's so fast. If you're going to do a hit workout, if you're going to do sprints, if you're going to do a crazy intense cycling class or something like that, those, even though they feel aerobic, your heart is pumping and you are breathing, from a physiology standpoint, we're using more of those anaerobic pathways. So we need that quick, available, ready to use kind of energy. So one big kind of analogy that I like to share with clients as kind of just a big picture for um, activity is imagine a bonfire. So what kind of things do we need to keep our bonfire going? Well, first, we need to start our fire. We can't just throw a log in the middle of our pit, strike a match and cross our fingers that it's going to light. We need kindling. We need newspaper. We need some small twigs or we need, um, you know, like a a log that's split into tiny little splinters so the splinters the things that are going to catch fire really quick give us that big whoosh of energy that wave of heat that's like our carbohydrates the log that's going to be that slow steady state consistent burning fuel source that's like our body's fat source or our, our fat usage when it comes to fueling and so we need both of them To get our fire going and to keep it going. But again, depending on what kind of activity we're doing is going to dictate if we need that big surge, that big rush, like we were talking about with carbohydrates. So the other thing that I tell clients to, especially because I think sometimes this is a big misconception, is do you want to throw your kitchen chair on the fire? No. no. You want to use your kin leg. You want to use your logs for your fire source. You don't want to use your kitchen chair. And our kitchen chair and our nutrition analogy here is kind of like protein. Protein's not meant to be used for energy. It's more so to be used for recovery. Um, so that's kind of the big crash course of exercise physiology is depending on what kind of activity you're doing. If you're going to be going for a walk, then that's a little bit more of that steady state where we need that log on the fire. So Christy, what are some of the nutrition recommendations? You know, you kind of alluded a little bit to carbohydrates, but let's get Mm -hmm. a little more detail, a little more context around that. And then how can clients support their recovery after a workout too?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, first and foremost, once again, eating enough, making sure that you are fueling um, not only that fire, but you're also fueling your body as well. So keeping those stores in check. So when we think about more like endurance, like um, like like you said, like sprints, hit workouts, whatever that is, you're gonna wanna focus more on those like carbohydrates to give you that quick flame, get you through that sprint workout. When we're thinking of more like long-term exercise, like when it comes to like biking, running, like more than five miles, etc., we're gonna wanna focus more on that log. So that really long burning storage, which is gonna be that fat. And then we also like you said, you don't want to use that protein as a sp- um, oh my gosh. Don't want to use that protein as a source of fuel, but that protein is going to help us build that strength. So, if you're doing more of like those strength workouts, um like weightlifting or possibly throwing around some sandbags, making sure that we are getting protein as well because that's going to really help us repair our muscles that are kind of being broken down during our workouts. So, like we mentioned before, some kind of little tips or tricks um, when before workout is to get some sort of simple carb in right before a workout, cause that's really going to help us spike that blood sugar, give us enough energy to get through our workout. And then afterwards, when it comes to recovery, one, we're going to want to have some sort of protein, whether that's through a shake, whether that's, um, breakfast like eggs, bacon, etc., cetera, or maybe you're just having lunch afterwards or dinner afterwards, getting some sort of protein is going to be really important for us to repair all of our muscles, Second, you want to get some sort of fat in. So um, usually try to shoot for like a healthier fat. So like avocados, peanut butter, any nut butter, any nuts, just to kind of repair, replenish the kind of source that we broke down a little bit. And then obviously getting plenty of fluids and plenty of rest after a workout as well. Just making sure that we're well rested throughout the night and that we're kind of repairing all those um, storages that we depleted with our workout, whether we're sweating throughout the whole thing or just breathing really heavy because that's also a lot of exasperation of our fluids as well so
0: yes that's always like a sneaky culprit that Mm -hmm. I don't think of is like yes we of course are losing fluid through our sweat but we also breathe and exhale so much fluid too and I like how you brought up the point of like again the quick carb the 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 simple carb, that glucose spike, we can time that before a workout. So of course, mm-hmm. you know, we just spend time talking about blood sugar and like how we're not supposed to have a blood sugar yeah. spike. <laughs> we're supposed to put sh- clothes on our carbs. on there. Yeah, but yeah, that's kind of the thing that I hope that a lot of our clients are able to take away. It's a big thing is that context is important. And it's not just a cookie cutter kind of situation. And then a lot of this, like Christy was saying of like, where should you fall in terms of like carbs or fats, depending on the on the activity you're going you're gonna do. this circles back to that whole point back when Christy talked about nutrition needs and how mm-hmm. we've got big ranges of carbs and fats and protein needs. But this is where we can kind of hone in on where in those ranges should we be sticking. Should we go to the lower end? Should we go to the higher end? Where should we be kind of falling? So here's a little more context um for some of those things. but yeah, it- and
1: everything really just depends on how you're training, when you're training, how often you're training. So, I mean, there's so many different factors that you can look at when it comes to nutrition and making sure that you're getting the best um, through your activity support. So there are, like you said, like there are ways that we can kind of hone in on those levels, but talking to just a dietitian to really figure that out, like where specifically should you be for your goals is going to really help.
0: Yeah. Or if you've been plateauing in your goals, yes. maybe nutrition is like the variable that you need to to help unlock that and, and move past it. So absolutely. So one other big common theme that I see with a lot of clients, and this is something that through my schooling, not that like my school, like my schooling and my education set me up for failure for this, but mm-hmm. I mean, as when you're when you're going to school for being a dietitian, the field of nutrition is such a huge broad domain that it's almost impossible to kind of learn a little bit about everything. Um, so, but this is definitely something that I have, I've started to develop a little bit more of a passion for, um, simply because I see a lot of clients that are experiencing this. And um, I love, I, it sounds so lame. I love reading research and I love learning <laughs> and... <laughs> Um, I like learning about some of these things. So it's okay that I have, you know, you know, school gave me a couple of dots and now I'm kind of drawing the lines. I'm connecting those dots outside Mm -hmm. of it, but that domain kind of is around hormonal support. And so a lot of the clients that I see and that I serve in my nutrition settings are late forties, early fifties. We're talking like perimenopausal. Now, of course, there's a few um, that are kind of outside of that and a little more of a reproductive kind of zone. Um, But in terms of this perimenopausal, postmenopausal, whatever you want to call it, range, there's not a lot of support out there. There's kind of this like blind spot, um, this black hole when it comes to health and wellness and supporting it and nutrition. Um, So I feel like I talk a lot about hormonal support and things from a food perspective to help people with that. So we've got hormones. They are signalers in our bodies. And now, of course, when I'm talking about hormonal support, I'm usually focusing more on like estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, cortisol. So those are all kind of the big heavy hitters from a hormone perspective. So estrogen and progesterone, those are the main female hormones. Those are the big ones that are supportive of our reproductive cycle. Testosterone is usually one that's more affiliated with males however we all have estrogen progesterone and testosterone it's just all in different ratios and we want to make sure that those ratios are in their appropriate ranges cuz if they're not that's when we start to experience those uncomfortable symptoms so in the setting of perimenopause the biggest thing that is transitioning here is our body is going from a certain level of estrogen to kind of down to a pretty low lying level of estrogen. Um, And how the body is doing that is the ovaries are essentially kind of turning off. They're going offline. They're they're our main organ um, for producing estrogen. And so as we're again approaching that menopausal point, they're starting to kind of close, close their doors and we still need estrogen in our body. So who's going to take over if the ovaries are closing the door? The next, I always kind of say the second string quarterback is our adrenal glands. So our adrenal glands are these two little triangle-shaped guys that sit on top of our kidneys, um, and they secrete a bunch of hormones outside of just estrogen. Big one is they're in charge of cortisol, epinephrine, norepinephrine, and things that are involved in our stress response. So if they're the second-string quarterback and they're now tasked with regulating the body's very baseline level of estrogen, but if they have a lot of other things on their plate, meaning your life is very stressful and very chaotic and, um, just kind of all over the place, then your second string quarterback is going to tap out and it's going to pass the ball to somebody else. It's kind of like a hot potato going on here for who's going to make estrogen. (laughs) So our third string quarterback, if the adrenals are like, no, thank you. Our third string quarterback is adipose tissue, adipose tissue, AKA fat tissue. So a lot of the women that I see have noticed that as they have approached this area of their life, the season of life, they've started to pack on a little bit more around their belly, around their love handles, and they're noticing that as a difference. And so... I'm not saying that it is, if you have, you know, midsection belly fat, that it is guaranteed because of estrogen and and cortisol, but it definitely could be a big, big connector. Um, So big things that we talk about here is if we want to kind of pass the ball back to our second string quarterback, what does that mean? That we need to take some responsibilities off of the adrenal glands, aka stress management. And so the big thing when it comes to stress management that I remind clients of as well is you might be nose blind. Remember those Febreze commercials where like you're mm-hmm. nose blind to that fish smell in your house or your kid nose blind to their smelly gym socks. So you might be stress blind because if this is the life that you've always lived, you've been a parent and you're managing all of your children's crazy extracurricular you know, activities. You're a manager in your job and you have a team of people underneath you that you have been constantly putting out fires for. You name it kind of things. Sometimes we might not actually feel stressed, but we've just been so accustomed to the state of our life that we've become like nose blind to it. We've become stress blind to it. But at the same time, just because you don't think it's that bad, doesn't mean your body's interpreting it as it's that bad. (laughs) (laughs) So that's always something that I like to bring to context here. Now, of course, I just mentioned, you know, a big culprit for a lot of this is stress management, but I'm a dietitian, So what about the food side of things? So when it comes to a lot of this, as estrogen is kind of going up and down and up and down and up and down and trying to get all the way to be consistently down, All of those fluctuations are going to impact our bone density, are going to impact our body's ability to respond to insulin. So Christy already talked about the importance of insulin. And now as we're approaching this, insulin is not quite as effective anymore because estrogen is all over the place. So therefore, our blood sugar might be starting to get a little bit higher. And this is also going to be a big connector to our temperature regulation, our mood regulation. So, all of these things are kind of stemming from a lot of the same underlying. Anchor in terms of our hormonal approach. So the biggest tips that I usually give clients is let's kind of manage as many of those things as best we can in within our areas of control. So again, if we've noticed that some blood sugar things are starting to happen, let's circle back to some of those points. If we've noticed that, um, you know some mood or some stress things are coming in so let's talk about stress eating let's talk about emotional eating and how we can kind of navigate around those things um so i think those are some some kind of overarching themes that hormonal support is yes we're trying to support your body as it's trying to let go of estrogen but we're also trying to support some of those side effects that come <laughs> from the body, trying to purge of all of that. Um, so yeah, so if any of this is resonating, like we have, I have an entire lecture on nothing but hormonal stuff, um, in our back to basic stuff. So we get into a lot more detail than simply what we chatted through here.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so, Chrissy, is there anything else that you feel like have been common themes outside of like awareness, needs, digestion, some of these asterisks? Um, or have there has there been like a kind of a client story that you thought was just like really cool to kind of witness and be a part of?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would agree that those are the main common themes for sure. Um, with a few little other things in there, there are other questions that people may ask that kind of just throw me for a little loop every once in a while but I mean just being able to see these clients listen to the advice that we've kind of gone over kind of gone through like with all the awareness and eating enough um and then finally start to see changes such as like I don't have these cravings anymore or I'm finally starting to lose weight you know like I've only known these clients for a few weeks now but um their stories definitely resonate with me. And I think it's really awesome that we, I've finally gotten to witness a few people really accomplish their goals. So,
0: yeah, it's always exciting to have. For me, it's always exciting for me to have students hop in and sometimes mm-hmm. we're like picking right up in the middle of somebody's story. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe I have somebody who's starting right away. Like I had one client who signed up for a six week series and like, oh, this is going to be great because you're going to be with her for all six of those weeks. Yes, <laughs> You'll be here to see the transformation from one to, to six. Um, So I think that that has been really cool that that that's an opportunity and um yeah. and that you've been able to, to see. So, um, so yeah, so Christy, anything else that our listeners should be mindful of, aware of when it comes to some of these basic foundational things?
1: Uh, I guess my overall just final thing is just really making sure that you're, um, once again, being aware, eating intuitively and just kind of Listening to your body and listening to what your body wants. If it's hungry, maybe that means you're not eating enough and you just need to feed it. So, yeah, just listening to your body overall and being intuitive with your eating.
0: Yeah, I think that that's always like that's such an excellent starting point. And it is not a sexy, flashy, cool (laughs) sounding starting point. But in all reality, like if that's, that's the best starting point for success, for true mm-hmm. success um, in a lot of this and making peace with food and things like that. So, yeah. um, but yeah, so again, if you like what you've heard in this episode, join me in 2024, whoop, whoop, whoop for the brand new series that I'm calling Back to the Basics. And like I mentioned at the beginning, this is a three-month, 90-day program. Well, maybe it's more or less than 90 days. I don't know. I didn't count how many days if how we're, are in February this year. But I digress. <laughs> to help you not only start this new year on the right foot, but then keep that momentum going we go into deeper detail on all of these topics that we kind of hit on and I've got a couple more up my sleeves um we'll have a link in the show notes to go ahead and get signed up I do have a little promo going on where if you register before Christmas you can receive my free ebook uh, four things you want to know if you want to nourish to flourish and before I give my infamous tagline Christy my theme for nutrition um sessions with clients is nourish to flourish so Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about what do you do to nourish and flourish
1: oh let's see I feel like the biggest one for me is just eat what you want like I I always I'm like you know what I'm not gonna be able to do anything until I eat my favorite treat ever which is Rice Krispie bars and that's why I brought it up before so if I'm thinking about that constantly It is okay to eat it, and I should not feel guilty for wanting to have that treat. So, I guess more of that, like, intuitive eating, like, make peace with your food. It is, if grandma's only making her pumpkin pie once every year, eat the piece of pie. So, yeah, I guess just kind of being aware that, sure, this might not be the healthiest thing to eat right now, but also, it's my body, and I'm going to listen to what my brain is kind of telling me to do, which is eat the Rice Krispies, so.
0: (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Ah, I like it well and that's the whole point of like flourishing like yes mm-hmm. we can eat you know the cookie cutter example of like fruits and vegetables and I'm staying yeah. in that lane only but yes we're you're probably doing a great job at nourishing your body but does it mean that you're flourishing not always you know we're mm. also meant to enjoy our food so I exactly food
1: is to- a very big part of all our our culture and I don't think a lot of people um it's like what I've heard a lot of the time is, oh, I have a Christmas party this weekend. I'm gonna eat all the little grazines on the table, which that is okay because guess what? When we're eating those little things on the table, we're also talking to family, get to know one another. Um, so I think food really brings people together. So eating with other people or going out to a brand new restaurant that you wanna try and eating the famous pasta, just do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's all about the experience. It's about the socializing, like, like you said, yes, we have goals yes we have needs and yes that's important but there's so much more to life than just that so Mm -hmm. well awesome well thank you so much for joining me in this episode absolutely now that you know better let's go out and do better so we can all be better